Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 232. This week, Carl and I talk about the latest Windows 10 update, more on remote development, .NET Core 3, Azure Data Box. We also cover the latest Microsoft hardware announcements and what it's like to develop with 800 other people all in one room. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Carl, how's it going? It's going pretty good. So you still got stickers? I still got stickers. If anybody else wants stickers, they can mail us or email us at <laughs> feedback at msdevshow.com uh, with stickers in the subject line and your name and address in the body, and I'll send you out some. In fact, uh, since I'm in between traveling right now, I have a nice stack getting ready to send out. That is basically all the stuff that got stuck in our junk mailbox over the summer. Very cool. And actually, now that I think about it, uh, Raygun was just talking about how they are going to be at uh, Ignite and they're going to be at uh, AWS Invent. And I don't know if they still have any stickers left, but whether or not they have them, uh, go up there and ask them for some MS Dev Show stickers if you're at either of those events. And uh, that really helped us. And I just want to I want to say thank you to everybody who did that at Build because um, the they, booth they really got, enjoyed like, talking to everybody and knowing yeah. that they were a fan. Yeah, the, the booth got like overrun with people saying like, hey, you know, I want MS Dev Show stickers. We listen to the podcast. And uh, and then also for the uh, the recent contest that we ran to. I mean, that was just that was just really amazing. I mean, we just we have the best listeners. Full stop. We do. Okay, so speaking of amazing listeners, uh, what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, we have Dan Clark uh, reaching out to us on Twitter. said, just listening to MS Dev Show talking about VS Code Remote SSH. Definitely going to update my Kubernetes and Raspberry Pi talk to include this. Browse and edit remote files on the Raspberry Pis from VS Code via the VS Code File Explorer tool. Uh, yeah, and not only did Dan talk or reach out to us about this, but I've had a bunch of people just come and find me in person and tell me how much that they thought that that was a really good uh, episode talking about the technology and how we used it in real life. Yeah. And then I noticed, I, I don't know if this was a recent update. I actually got a, a notification from VS code that said that I could remove, there was an extension I could remove. So I think some of the functionality now is getting built in. Um, I think you still have to install the remote SSH extension itself. Um, but what's kind of cool is I, I noticed that there's tools in VS code and maybe this was there in the beginning and I just found it. Uh, but now there's a little bit easier tools where you can see like all the port mappings so that if you are, um, like, uh, you know, if you're developing a website, um, on the remote machine, uh, you can actually set up a port forward and you can access it from your local machine. Uh, but in VS Code now, it, with that extension, um, there's a panel on the left where it shows you that kind of information. Um, and and I've been I've been doing this for a while now. I have you know like this VM set up on my home server that's that's super fast. And I've been trying it from different locations. I've tried it from both coasts now. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I tried it from Boston, uh, um, and then actually this week, I used it uh, whenever I was out in Redmond. Uh, the biggest 
issue I have with uh, with my setup. I've I've never had an issue with the remote SSH functionality itself, um, but just going over the internet and relying on a VPN to connect to my home network. Um, I had a couple times where the VPN was like delayed in connecting. And then I think I had one or two times where I couldn't figure out why it wasn't connecting just for some random reason. And then it would connect later. But I will say, even from Seattle, you know, half a country away, uh, VPNing into my home network and then connecting via remote SSH, the experience was just flawless. Like everything is, everything is pretty instantaneous. And I've done some things like with Python and it ends up installing like the Python tools on the, on the remote machine to give you, um, you know, linting and IntelliSense and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm just getting, I'm getting more excited about this feature. Like it's not wearing off. (laughs) I'm getting more excited as I use it. Um, and then just the fact that, you know, I am running Linux and contain, you know, containers on pure Linux remotely and really not affecting the, uh, the CPU. Like I've, I just showed it this, this feature to somebody yesterday and I was like showing them task manager. I'm like, see, it's not running on my machine. Um, plus I was on Wi-Fi, but I was like doing things over, you know, my home gigabit, gigabit connection. So I don't know. I'm just, this is, this is a really cool feature. I think everybody should just make sure they have this in their tool belt and, and think about this whenever, uh, whenever this type of, whenever they think they could use a scenario like this. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of uses for it that mm-hmm. we just can't all come up with at once, but exactly. Excellent tech. If you want to get mentioned on the show, like Dan, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on our website or on Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Yes. So we have lots of really cool news stories to go over today. Uh, so the first one here is what Windows 10 version 1909 means for developers. And I guess the first thing we probably should mention is it's also known as 19H1, correct? That's the basically H2. Thing. H2. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is the second half. Right. Right. Calendar year, not fiscal. That makes sense. And and I'm actually running on my laptop. I'm running 19H2, uh, it, not because I'm a special Microsoft person, but uh, because I actually put the laptop into the release preview ring. Um, and then I there's a switch you can switch that says, hey, when this is like officially publicly fully announced, um, take me out of the release preview. So it's kind of cool that you can upgrade to this today. Yeah. So if you're a Windows developer, when you want to access all the new uh, pieces, uh, you actually have, there's a drop down for you to select the right SDK. Uh, but in 1909, because it was a version of Windows that optimized performance, added some enterprise features and you know quality enhancements, there is actually not an SDK. And there's nothing you need to do. So if you're normally one of those people that, you know, every version you have to update to the new stuff, you actually have zero work this time. So that was uh, kind of a a nice uh, happenstance there. Yeah, I will also comment. Well, a couple comments on this one is whenever I upgraded to 19H2, like it's super fast. It takes like five, 10 minutes. Uh, That's that's the first thing. And then the the second part of that, too, is that um, um, there's not a lot of new features in here. You know, you sort of alluded mm-hmm. to that. Um, I actually kind of like that. <laughs> I like, I like that. Um, um, like Windows is already in a good place. I feel like it's pretty, pretty reliable. And um, well, I mean, I've I've had zero issues on both of my new yeah. machines. And so um, you know, you know why it was a lot faster though. Yeah, it's not go, just because go, there's go less going it. on. So w- what had been done? If you have a computer that's been on a previous update and was just kind of sitting along, and you're using it consistently, um, the binaries uh, 
for all the internal new features and speed things were actually placed on your computer weeks to months ago and just disabled via feature flags. And then when the update comes through, essentially all it's doing is it's flipping those feature flags to turn them on, activate them, and then you reboot your computer. And mine took about two minutes Mm -hmm. to do the full update. So, I mean, that's just really powerful being able to, uh, you know, change how windows is updated, um, to make that experience good because I actually had, uh, my surface go, which I didn't realize it was on 1809. And I went to update that, um, the other day and it took well over an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, actually, uh, there were two laptops in, in, you know, from people in my family that I know that, uh, the one she was complaining about her laptop updating at, at poor times. And I'm like, aren't you running windows 10? Like you can, you can turn that off. And she's like, I don't know what I'm running. So I looked at it here. It was running windows eight. And, uh, so the, but the free upgrade is still turned on for that. Um, so I just downloaded the media creation tool and ran that and it upgraded to windows 10. And yeah, it took, um, I only waited an hour for it and then I left. (laughs) And then she told me, uh, a few hours later that it was done, but her experience is much, much improved with the, with the, uh, with the same hardware. But, you know, for people who wonder, like, if there's no like, you know, amazing new features or anything like why, why should I even be excited about something like this? Um, I will say, you know, working on the like commercial and the enterprise side of things, um, usually we're talking to partners and they, they're, they're, they're building, you know, some kind of big application that relies on some backend feature. So like, I'll give you a weird example. So it could be like nested Hyper-V for example, or it could be something to do with windows containers or something like that, some feature in there. And those kinds of features, Um, and you know, pretty much always require a new version of windows. So basically the code gets written and they're just waiting for that next release to come out. Um, every release is an opportunity to get some of those features that you might not see in there. So, you know, things continue to get better and enable new scenarios, even whenever it looks like there's, there's nothing new there. Um, so just keep that in mind. Plus, like I said, I mean, I think, I think they just, um, windows just keeps getting more and more refined. I mean, the control panel and like even the start menu has some things that make it everything a little bit smoother and fit and finish. I've just, I've really been impressed with it lately, honestly. Okay. So let's see here. Announcing the open application model and open standard for developing operating applications on Kubernetes and other platforms. Yeah. A lot of enterprises have been adopting Kubernetes as the basis for their architecture. So they plan on building their application um, into a microservice that's going to get described in a way that Kubernetes can understand and then deploy. Uh, Well, the problem is, is there's a lot of different moving pieces there. And especially if you're going to have this be something that you might want to run in several different clouds, there's a lot of different ways that that could be, well, you know, what might be, uh, you know, when you're asking for a load balancer, you might just say, Hey, I needed a load balancer. I kind of just need like a standard generic one. And, you know, on Azure, it might be, you know, called Azure load balancer, but on you know, Alibaba or Amazon or Google clouds, there could be called just about anything. And uh, OAM is uh, a way to kind of have those generic, um, you know, ways to describe your application to Kubernetes. So you can get all of those uh, pieces that you need and have your application just just run and work. Yeah. I mean, it's like the the YAML file that Kubernetes would use. And in fact, looking at this, it looks like that was essentially the model 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty darn close to that. Um, but the idea is that that is now a standard. So if there's, I don't know, something better than Kubernetes, <laughs> whatever whatever the the flavor of the day is, the the new thing, uh, you can use that that same uh, standard on there. Or you know, theoretically, and I, I guess we're we're gonna have Mark Fussell on pretty soon, but. Um, uh, you should be able to use this with something like uh, Service Fabric, since it's able uh, to run um, containers and and do a lot of that same orchestration. So you should be able to use the exact same uh, format as well. Uh, so standards are good. Always like to see that. Yeah, and just to be clear, this was something that was uh, developed alongside Alibaba. So this is you know de- designed for being able to reach across those different cloud platforms. Yep. This next one is really cool. Uh, announcing support for native editing of Jupyter notebooks and VS Code. Yeah, you know, I don't know if everybody's had the experience of working with a, a Jupyter Notebook. I know that we've done an episode on this in the past, but it's kind of got a really interesting user interface where you kind of have like these little different blocks and areas where you have your code that you kind of like put in and then you have kind of like right underneath it, maybe some results from that code and then more code underneath that. And, you know, something that like when you look at what a standard uh, like text editor might provide, you might be like, I don't know how this could really work in there, but now there's a plugin to kind of give you that whole UI in VS code. So you don't have to go off into somewhere else if you're using VS code for all of your other development. Yeah. And and actually, you know, the, the whole uh, Jupyter notebooks thing, (laughs) this might seem obvious to many listeners, but if you've never like used this before, the, the the thing that, that really opened my eyes with Jupyter notebooks is that it's like a client server model. So, well, it's actually more like a, just a website. (laughs) (laughs) So in Jupyter notebooks, you can host it anywhere. And in what never clicked for me until, until we actually were using that NVIDIA Jetson board was that it had Jupyter Notebooks installed, which meant that all I had to do was browse to the right website. And I was, I was using the client interface for that. And you can do things like, you know, machine learning algorithms. And those are actually running on the, on the, on the device. It really reminds me of like the SSH remoting. It's kind of a similar concept to that. Um, so that, to me, like that's one of the most powerful things about Jupyter Notebooks. But anyway, this is uh, this is pretty cool because I think switching back and forth is kind of a pain. What I like about this is you can put the notebook like right in your code and it's sitting there alongside of it. And it gives you that uh, that really cool um, playground there. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking this out. And it actually gives me the idea then to actually install Jupyter Notebooks then on my, you know, uber powerful desktop that I have sitting at home. Because once again, I could use VS Code anywhere. And I could be using uh, Jupyter Notebooks remotely. Yeah. And you get all the cool stuff like autocomplete, mm-hmm. uh, variable explorer, connecting to remote Jupyter servers, and even exporting all your stuff as Python. So, yep. yeah, I assume this, this must connect. I hope. Oh, yeah. Right here. Connecting to remote Jupyter servers. Uh, so VS Code automatically creates a Jupyter server for you locally by default. But if you want to use a remote Jupyter server, it's as simple as using the specified Jupyter server URI command. So yeah, I can install Jupyter on my server and use VS Code as the front end client. Super, super cool. Uh, okay, .NET Core 3.0 concludes the .NET Framework API porting project. Well, that was a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, but what that really means is let's just step back and look at like the history of .NET Core. When first came out it was just a tiny core piece of functionality and uh throughout time they kind of had to add a lot of the functionality that uh .NET framework is and in fact i think that was like the major focus of .NET core 2 is like let's just bring all this f- full framework apis but 
we'll bring them into core. Uh, with .NET Core 3, uh, there's still a bunch of APIs that were missing uh, that WinForms and WPF needed. So those got brought in. Um, but yet still today, like there are APIs that are in framework that are not in core. Um, but they're saying that's enough going forward. We're just going to be worried about net new things. That's going to be in core only. Yep. And we sort of talked to uh, Scott Hunter about that at build. Um, cause there's things like, um, .NET remoting that aren't coming forward. Uh, but there's things like uh, gRPC, which is gaining in popularity and it's an open standard. Um, so there's, you know, there's frameworks like that you can use. So I'm sure that there's some people who are, you know, they're probably angry about their particular framework that they're using, but you know, you, you gotta like draw that line at some point. And I'm but glad at, that they're being clear about where that line was drawn. Um, but at the same time, one additional note that's, this is in a, uh, GitHub issues, um, uh, for .NET. Right. And, uh, one thing that they said is, uh, full framework is going to be open sourced more completely going forward. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, they're okay with people like taking that functionality that's not being ported over and making that their own project. So you could have that remoting right. piece. You can look at what they did and like, Oh, I could totally do that in .NET core. Right. It's just that Microsoft isn't going to invest in it. So if that's something that you want to do, you could build up a community around that. And that could be a nice community project. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see what communities take off there. Cause I, you know, like workflow is kind of a big one too, right? Like there's people that are just uh, probably feel like they're left behind and they're like, I just want my workflow stuff. So uh, Cosmos DB geospatial query playground. So I've known for a while that, uh, Cosmos DB in their documentation page has this like little query explorer that you can just kind of play around and learn how to use their, their syntax. Um, but since, uh, Cosmos understands, uh, spatial types now, mm-hmm. you can actually do, uh, spatial queries in there and have like a, a little map that'll show you what goes on. So, um, if you go to, uh, our show notes, we'll have a link there. So you can just go in there, you can type queries and they'll like be able to update stuff on maps for you. <laughs> it, did you see the URL? <laughs> it's documentdb.com. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, it's still a little bit of uh, legacy naming there. Um, and then Azure data box edge in a backpack. Yeah, so this is something that I don't have a ton of details, Mm -hmm. but it was announced that uh, there's going to be a version of Databox Edge, which is an IoT um, device, and it's also a server. Um, But that thing, if you look at the original Databox Edge, this is it's a pretty sizable uh, server class. uh, What do you call that? Uh, Rack mountable. that's got some amazing GPU on there for machine learning workloads and stuff like that. But they've made a, a version of that that is small enough to fit in a backpack and is battery powered. Mm-hmm. So you could run some Azure workloads um, and IoT workloads that fit in a backpack size device, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm totally confused by what's going on here because like I understand the hardware I get, I get the functionality, but and maybe this is just a naming thing, but the this this series of products is called Azure Databox, right? And if you go yep. look at what they are, there's like Databox and like Databox Heavy, like the whole idea is that it's a crap ton of hard drives 
where you put that data in there and then you can send it to, you can send it to Microsoft and they'll load but the it. edge series. So data box ads, well, those are all running. IoT edge, edge. Well, we say edge series, but there was, there was one, right? There's data yep. box edge. This is the second, in the series. Come well, on. I know. I don't, let me, <laughs> let me, let me continue my thinking here. Cause, cause then, then you can correct me. So, so th- there's, you know, data box edge, which still made perfect sense to me as a data box, because you basically put IOT edge in there you deploy it because a lot of, uh, you know, customers, partners have a lot of things like uh, time series data. And the idea be, be behind like having the the edge there is that you can have a module that maybe connects to Modbus or it connects to that existing legacy system as an adapter. It can pull that information in, maybe do some transformation, maybe do some like deduplication. But anyway, you do all that. And then again, you send that thing back in. That was how I was always thinking of it. Um, but now this data box has now turned into portable box. <laughs> yep. Right. Like it's just, then maybe I'm just having a trouble with the naming because I, obviously I, I don't think the strategy is to have this thing in your bag and then collect insane amounts of data and then send it up to Azure. It, this sounds more like a computer for a backpack with a battery that has, Correct. you know, IOT edge functionality. So I guess just maybe the naming hasn't kept up. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's an extension of the brand that they try to do, except yeah. now the brand scope is bigger than what they started with. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't really, I can't think of a better name and I guess data box. If, if they just say, Hey, you know, this, this is just, this is just like the series of products that that are running IOT edge. You know, if they're all data box edge, I'm fine with that. I just, um, uh, this one just confused me a little bit as to like how that was part of that same series, but I get it now. Yeah. And, and just to show like how, uh, complicated it is, you know, I have two different links in the show notes here and they actually kind of both get it a little bit wrong as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just take that information. If this is something that you're interested in, kind of compare notes and see what makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what's the maximum number of generic parameters for a class in .NET and C sharp? And why would anybody care? <laughs> well, <laughs> The thing is, you know, it's not whether you should do it, but whether you can do it. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, almost a, an interesting thought size because, you know, like, or a thought experiment, experiment, because there's times where you see like, uh, you know, method signatures, uh, especially for generic uh, functions. And you see one that takes one parameter and one takes two and three and four. And usually they go up to like 16 and then they just say like, that's all you need. But, you know, when some people see that, they're like, well, if they don't know how many you need, you know, like how many could I go to? So, you know, it's not something that's really well documented. So what uh, the author decided to do is, hey, let's use some code to either use um, some Roslyn features or use reflection and see if we can iterate over uh, all the possibilities and come up with the answer. Um, So the short answer to this problem is it's 65,535. Or two to the sixteen minus one. Hmm, that really cramps Which, my style. Yeah, if <laughs> if that that's cramping your style, Jason, I actually don't want to see your code. So, <laughs> so it's a, a good thing that we don't work together in that fashion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, you know, I, I just thought it was interesting. One that you can go that high, uh, but two the just the thought process and the code examples that the author used to kind of prove out that you can go that far. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, C++ is coming to .NET Core for Windows. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And 
you know, that's a little bit of a clickbaity title because C++ isn't coming to .NET Core. So you're not going to be able to, um, you know, write core in it. It's more that you'll be able to interface C++ with .NET Core. Okay. Um, but it's going to be available only for the Windows variant. So if you're trying to uh, build some sort of library or binary for uh, Linux or Mac, um, that's not going to work. But you'll have it for uh, Windows development. Okay. Cool. And then the last news story we have here, exploring the vast earth Microsoft has created for Flight Simulator 2020. So I think this is one that you know a little bit more about this uh, topic than me. No, I know nothing about this. So we're both saying it. About this. Is this is this the third host that's adding it in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about this. Uh, well, there's a flight simulator that's coming out, yeah. and um, uh, and I think that the the trailer for this actually came out a little bit while a while ago. But the just looking at like the the pictures and the renderings that they have of the detail of Earth is actually just pretty fantastic Mm -hmm. that uh there's 4k resolution yeah and um like you do you remember like the first version of flight simulator or at least the first version that you played like yeah yeah things were just like giant it's like a national treasure (laughs) yeah well i remember like flying around quote like chicago skyline or the new york city skyline and these were just ginormous rectangles Mm -hmm. um that you're flying around through yeah these graphics i mean just if, if you only do one thing from this story, new story, go watch the, uh, the trailer. My God, that is just, that is some crazy quality in there. I mean, everybody there's They're going to sell GPUs for this for sure. <laughs> 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 that is so cool. I mean, cause like people like you can, you can do like a lot. I don't want to say you can do a lot of your flight training. I don't know if that's actually the case, but like, I mean, like actually operating a plane in like a legit way. Uh, the you physics so world is pretty decent. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. They're flying by the space needle. Of course. Yeah. This looks really amazing. I, I was just disappointed when, when it went away and now that it's coming back, I'm just so excited. Cause I mean, people just love this. People build like, you know, 12 screen flight simulator setups. Um, so very cool. Lots of people are into aviation and, uh, that's great. Um, okay. Should we talk about, um, you know, we did get one comment on Twitter about, uh, I think covering all the hardware stuff. Um, they were tired of us doing that. I think this is probably our last episode where we're going to have like a big, <laughs> a big focus on hardware, but I feel like we have to do it because of all the, uh, the surface announcements. Yeah. And last time that we talked, we talked about what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. So now that we know what happened, now we actually can comment on it. Well, and, and I think uh, it was like even bigger than we expected i mean it was like everything got released (laughs) and then some yeah how do you want to go through this Uh, i think in order right where like you have it okay so um and i i actually did i was in redmond this week and i got to see these devices in person no i did not get to see the duo or the neo um i didn't actually even expect to see these devices i just happened to go to the store and i'm like Oh, what it would look at this. Here's a surface. I'm like, wait a second. This is a surface laptop three. <laughs> so, um, I saw the 13 and the 15 and I saw the surface pro X, but, uh, for, I'll talk about the laptop first. Holy crap. What nice hardware. I was, I was blown away. Like just, t- I touched it and I was like this thing, it is just a whole nother level. Um, I have, you know, I have my Dell XPS 13, which I love. But it's kind of like a plastic, 
you know, which I, you know, I don't care. Like it's, it's okay. But like the build quality on my XPS 13 is like, it's a Dell, <laughs> you know, like it is what it is. So um, it, y- yeah. your Dell is good, but it's not like refined. I yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the service laptop three was just really amazing. I mean, it was metal and cold. I mean, it really ran in that way. It reminded me of like a MacBook pro, but like the feel of it and like the way that it closed. And actually now that I'm thinking about it, that's right. There's no gasket in there between like the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of noticed that too. I, I, it's funny. I didn't put two and two together though. When I was looking at it, I, but cause I closed it and it just like, it was just like a, it was like a hunk of like perfect metal and then you open it up and man, it was just, it was fast. Both the 13 and the 15, um, super fast. The trackpad, like, I don't know if anybody, you know, is doing maybe a more in-depth, uh, review of this, but holy crap. Like finally the thing I think is pretty darn close to a Mac. I don't, I don't know if it's on par. Like, I think there's a chance that it is. Um, cause like I was scrolling and like web pages and it, it gave me the same feel that I get on a Mac trackpad. It was smooth. The trackpad was big. Um, it had just like just the right amount of inertia, um, the force required to actually push the button, you know, on the trackpad that pushed the trackpad down was minimal. That's one complaint I have about the XPS 13. Uh, my arm is getting stronger just from pushing that stupid <laughs> trackpad down. Uh, so I, it was just really refined like they really know what they're doing now i mean it was just it was like a work it was just a work of art really amazing device raygun provides full stack error crash and performance monitoring for tech teams whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences raygun can provide you with the answers get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place the next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to Raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. Dramatically improve the online experience of your users. The, the one thing that I wanted to bring up, especially with the Surface Laptop 3, is that iFixit got their hands on one. And you know what that means. They're going to tear the sucker yeah, apart. Yeah, I didn't even look at their, their teardown. So I, I, actually, I usually just kind of like look at their final summary mm-hmm. but i actually read through uh the entire article for this and i think one of the things that is interesting is the way that they wrote it kind of like had some similarities to what you were explaining you're like yeah i remember opening it and they had talked about how easy it is to open but i failed to remember at the time that you know you know put two and two together there's no gasket right uh one of the things that they had mentioned is like when they were tearing it apart there's like there's no speaker grills or vent holes or anything mm-hmm. and as they're taking it apart they're like the keyboard is the vent holes and speaker grill yeah like it was just like blowing their mind like this is so well designed yeah they didn't need to have these other things because they designed it into other features mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, Microsoft had said that, you know, like this is the most repairable ever. And I fix it went from a zero because previously it was just all glued together, uh, <laughs> to a five, which is a, a, a giant jump up. Right. I mean, there's still uh, a long way to go mm-hmm. and maybe it doesn't have to get all that way either. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you want to replace the hard drive or do uh, like a few other things, they said like you could replace, um, a few of the pieces either individually or as like subunits with pretty minimal effort, which is a far cry from everything glued into one giant block. Yeah. 
So this is a, I mean, it's just a dang sexy laptop. I I just, I don't know what else to say about it. I was really impressed by it. And um, I mean, you can get a lot of power, you know, get that 15 inch with like the AMD processor or the 13. I think you get it, you know, spec pretty well. Um, I did, I did feel a little bad. Like when I was looking at them, I'm like, oh, why did I get the XPS 13? But um, the screen flips around on my XPS 13. Like that's the only <laughs> thing I'm clinging to. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the surface laptop doesn't do that. Jason, you know what you have is okay. <laughs> I have to like convince myself that, that what I got wasn't, uh, wasn't a total waste. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, if you have any other questions on that. I did. I'm going to, I'm going to sort of skip, I'm going to skip ahead here. I'm going to do these a little out of your order here, but, um, I, the Surface Pro 10, or not 10, the X. Oh my God. Surface Pro X. <laughs> the Surface Pro X. I had to train myself so long on like the Apple stuff. So the Surface so Pro. So I, I made it easy. I just mispronounced all the Apple stuff. Yeah, there you go. It's the fi- iPhone X. That's right, all I- right. So the Surface Pro X. Wow. I mean, this was another. I, I don't know. Everybody, I'm sure everybody thinks I'm a shell. I'm just saying this because I work for Microsoft. I, whatever. Just go ahead. Uh, but just go, just go into a Microsoft store and just, just look at it. If you think the thing's a pile of crap, then don't buy it. Okay. <laughs> but holy crap. I, I couldn't, I was, I couldn't believe how thin it was, thin and light it was. Um, but for the size screen, the bezels weren't too obnoxious. You know, one thing I've actually found with my XPS 13, now that I took it on a plane, the bezels are too small. You can't hold it without touching the screen. <laughs> so I keep pausing like Netflix, <laughs> but that's a, that's a totally different story. So I actually think the bezels on the, um, on the surface pro X are probably about perfect. Um, I did, I did not do get to do like extensive performance testing, but I did like open up some applications side by side with like the surface laptop, uh, three. And, um, you know, there was, there was a difference, you know, maybe, maybe the, the service pro X was like 75% as fast on like launching some apps. Um, but still we're talking about like 0.75 seconds versus like one second. So, you know, in a real world, I don't know how noticeable that is. You know, I, I'm not doing like a concept com- comprehensive review of this. Um, but I was really impressed with just like the thickness and the size and like the fact that this thing, if you want to use a machine for like 80% consumption and then like 20% like create, you know, creation, like this is so much better than an iPad. It's not even funny. Um, because you really don't lose any functionality. I mean, it is, you can use it as, as like an honest to God, um, you know, PC. And then the other thing was, you know, it has like the hidden pen and the keyboard. I'm not a fan of the detachable keyboards, but again, if it's, you know, 80% consumption, 20%, you know, productivity, then I think it's fine. The, the pen, um, felt really great, but when I started drawing with it, um, to me, it had the best feel of any, you know, of any device. And I guess I haven't used any of these in a while. I has been a while since I've used like the old, like I have a surface book, like a surface book one. Um, but for whatever reason, like the, just the, the amount of drag on the screen I felt was like perfect. And, uh, the responsiveness, I mean, it seemed, it seemed to be, you know, imperceptible delay. Um, it was a nice machine. I, I think this is a, a machine that I would recommend to a lot of people, Um, especially if you're, like I said, if you're in a situation where, you know, maybe you have like a laptop and a desktop and a tablet, for example, like you could definitely consolidate two of those devices into into one, I think with something like this and be, and be pretty happy with it. And I think that's pretty interesting, especially for a first generation go at this. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it'll be really interesting to see what the performance and most importantly battery is on the second one. Yeah. And, and how it was it fast enough that like it made me again sort of question like man, maybe I should have got that instead of the XPS 13. Um, but again, no, you wouldn't want that as your primary. Yeah, computer. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think so. But replacing an iPad, I think, I think, it, I think, I think everybody's a little disappointed when they buy an iPad. <laughs> um, I've talked to so many people about this. I'm like, what do you actually use it for? And they're like, I use it for Netflix. You know, like, wow, you just bought like a thousand dollar Netflix machine. Um, but this is a case where, you can run like VS code or whatever on it. And I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a game changer or run like real, um, like remote desktop. And, um, well, I guess there's a remote desktop for the iPad, but I, I just think there's so much more that you could do on this. You could run regular visual studio. You can run Photoshop if you want to. Um, and you know, the startup speed for even things like Photoshop is not horrific. So, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty nice. Um, yeah, the, the, the other thing that I think is pretty interesting on this is it obviously has a slightly different design than the Surface Pro. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, one of the things that I have absolutely no insight into is this, you know, its own unique design, or is this what maybe next year's Surface Pro- Oh, that's a good uh, question, yeah. We'll, we'll get as well. So is this like a peek into the future of the design language of the Surface hardware? Yeah, I think I think it makes more sense. I mean, I just don't, I don't think like getting an Intel processor and a Surface Pro, I don't think makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think there are people where that does make sense, but I just think that for most people who want that form factor and are going to use that keyboard, it may as well be ARM because then it's just going to work the way that you think it is. The battery is going to last forever. It's going to do um, all the things that you that you want it to do in the way that you want to do it. Yeah, so. I think for me this would be an amazing travel device. Yes, um, it's just that with the first generation, um, they you know I think they said in the uh, actual presentation of this that you know they optimized uh, for weight mm-hmm. and that's why it doesn't have the battery life that everybody's expecting because you know it's driving a ginormous display. The battery life and, is not terrible yeah. though. Um, it, it's not terrible, but it's not, you know, a lot of people were expecting for the first arm device to be in the 20 ish hour range. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a far cry from that. Yeah. And, um, but it's close to iPad performance. Yeah. Then obviously depending on what you're doing. I mean, if you do the, the Intel emulation or whatever, like it's going to obviously drain quicker, but like this to me seems like a perfect device for like somebody who is going into school, um, who, or even like salespeople who are traveling. I mean, man, it seems like so this is an amazing machine for the plane. I think the, this mm-hmm. just makes sense for a lot of people. Honestly, I don't really want to talk about the Surface Pro too much because I think it's... Well, I think yeah. the biggest thing for that is, you know, for the Surface Pro, mm-hmm. it gets USB-C and it's been solid since the third or fourth generation. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just, you know... A set of just a like, refinement. Hey, yeah. We already knocked it out of the park. There's not a lot to really do. And if there was, I mean, that would be a state on what it used to be. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I'll mention here is uh, there's a tweet that I'll include, but Daniel Rubino did, he, sh- he was showing the instant on functionality. If you get the Surface laptop or, I mean, the Surface Pro X just does this, um, but if you get a Surface laptop with the Intel processor, um, basically he showed he had a laptop sitting there for 10 hours. And as he opened the screen, like he opened it quickly, um, before you could even see the screen, the machine was already on. Um, and this was, I guess, some work between windows and Intel to make that, uh, that a reality. 
Uh, but it really is like instant on. I mean, you are not waiting for that machine to come on. Now I can't complain about my XPS 13. It's good. Uh, but it's probably like, well, let me hit the button here. One, yeah, it was like one second, but it's like half a second on these new ones. So just keep that in mind. I mean, that's a game changer when your laptop is just immediately ready when you are. So something to, uh, something to look forward to, uh, whenever you pick one of these up. Um, I don't really want to talk about earbuds. Do you have anything you want to say there? I, I do because this is one of the things that I had heard like a lot of rumors about and yeah. I got kind of excited because my AirPods are getting ready to bite the dust. Okay. Uh, I wear my AirPods pretty much most of the day, probably you know, in my ears, eight to 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really excited to maybe have surface uh, earbuds. But the problem with for me with these is they are just ginormous and ugly. Yeah. Um, so these have like a ginormous touch sensitive plate on them. So you can do gestures. Mm. Like I don't want gestures. I just want something that disappears in my ear fits and is amazing. I think it's cool that it does the voice translation stuff. So you could, you know, have another language translated to you on the fly. Uh, that's a, a definitely a nice to have, but it's not something I would use on a regular basis. So for me, uh, with the price of these being, 250 bucks, which is, you know, between 70 and a hundred dollars too expensive and just being ginormously ugly. It's a hard pass for now. Yeah. Yeah. Just not, not definitely not my cup of tea, but you know, everybody has their own cup of tea. So, so now I'm waiting for Apple to update their AirPods. I'm trying to not buy the current version. This design. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear all the Apple people. Oh, actually this is, this is, this is like the way they should have been the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, I love that. I listen, you know, you and I, we listen to, um, there's an, you know, Apple podcast we listen to and I love it. There was a, there was a picture that leaked out of this, uh, supposed 16 inch MacBook, and it looks like identical to the existing one. And they're like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause the existing one is perfect. <laughs> well, and a lot of times they do the, like, <clears throat> what if this Microsoft you know, like hardware was made by Apple and like, of course we would say it was still crap. And then like Apple does it and they're like, well, this is how it should have been. And yeah, I know. Just- I know. I know. Well, I, and I will say like, I, I, I wish I wish somebody could force them to take a look at these new surface laptops, uh, because I think that they would be pretty impressed. So, um, what else here? New accessories. So I I've actually got, uh, an update on the accessories. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't really tell you this, but, uh, we were camping a few weeks ago and, you know, sometimes your spouse tells you all sorts of things right away. What, what annoys you? Sometimes they just let it fester inside. Apparently, my wife was letting it fester that she did not like my mechanical keyboard because it was way <laughs> too loud. Yeah. And she basically told like everybody else but me about that when we were camping. So I was like, okay. Uh, I did hear that. <laughs> and, and I knew you heard that. So that's why I'm bringing it up. So what I did is that when I heard that the new accessories were quietly updated um i actually got the it was the cheap uh bluetooth surface keyboard okay is it it the one with the number pad on the right and it's the one with the number pad and then on the top right it's got like the calculator button and all that yeah it's got the office button and the i used it when i was out in seattle so first of all um normally i i do not like keyboards that are quite like this Mm -hmm. um but this is actually really nice. It's got a That's really a nice good feel. Keyboard. It's a got nice a really keyboard. nice feel to it. It's uh, contrary to my previous keyboard, dead silent. Right. So uh, basically solving the happy wife, happy life uh, problem with there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has not complained once about my typing sense. Yeah. If I didn't have a brand new keyboard, that would probably be my keyboard. 
and, and like I said, for like 50, 55 bucks, uh, roughly what this one was. Um, but they, aren't they, they're a hundred, aren't they? No, this one was like 50, 55. There is the, um, I was looking at the hundred dollars, the ergonomic one. No, and I, I did not get the ergonomic one. one. <laughs> Let me find the link in the store. Uh, I was say, and I did look at the new mice and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh yeah, look at this Key- Microsoft Bluetooth keyboard. This is not the one I was looking at. But I bet you it feels like, oh, here we go. I was looking at this one. Um, Microsoft modern keyboard with fingerprint ID, apparently. Yeah. I don't have the fingerprint ID. Yeah. I didn't even, but the, the one I was looking at, I didn't know how to fingerprint ID. I don't even know where that is on here. It must be the, it must be the lock button. Did they like put it in there? Okay. So yeah, you don't have the same buttons up in the top, right? You know, if you look at the keyboard side by side, so there's like a gray one and then there's the black one. So yours is black, I assume. Yep, it's black. Um, okay. So it looks like they're identical except for that. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, wow. It's, it's 50 bucks even. So. And that's a Bluetooth keyboard? Yep. And, you know, we may or may not get a nice discount on that too. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a heck of a deal. Oh, man. Why did I buy this piece of crap Logitech? This would have been my keyboard. Yeah, th- that one didn't exist when you were buying yours. No, no. Return you don't it. Vo- oh, yeah, there is volume buttons. I guess they're part of the... Wow. Okay. Well, I feel bad now. Thanks. And, and the thing is like Microsoft has historically had good keyboards. So yeah. um, you can't go wrong. The, yeah. the only thing that I'm missing is backlighting, but uh, yeah, I can deal with it. Yeah. And that, that $100 one that I was looking at, the the modern, the big silver one, uh, that was a dang nice keyboard. So, you know, I would probably look at both. I don't know I don't know if the feel of the keys is different now. I'm kind of, now I'm really curious. Yeah. Next <laughs> time you're over, you'll have to give it a, a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's just so much good hardware. So sorry to that one guy who doesn't like to hear us talk about hardware, but like there's <laughs> so much cool stuff right now. Uh, yeah, this is hardware season. So yeah. And then new office features. Well, here you go. This is software. <laughs> <laughs> what did they add here? Transcription, uh, transcription inking, inking in Excel. I mean, that was some cool demos, but I mean, to be honest, I've had, um, you know, pens on my laptops the last thing I think of when I'm in Excel is, oh, let me go grab that. Even well, if I happened. To- yeah. I mean, we're, we're just, yeah, I, I would say we're pretty normal. There's, but the, yep. the thing is there's lots of people that love their pen and do want to use yep. it everywhere. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I could see like if you were people using it, it maybe if you were in a meeting and you just are scribbling some stuff down, Yeah. that's, that's cool. Um, I, I just don't see it getting a ton of use. Yep. Okay, and then two different uh, dual screen devices. Yeah, so these are the uh, both a dual screen tablet and a dual screen. Uh, I forget what they're calling it. I'm going to call it a phone, even though Microsoft isn't. Mm-hmm. They basically said it's a cellular device or something like that. <laughs> but it's uh, you know basically two 5.6 inch phones, uh, kind of that fold together. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that was kind of weird when you looked at it, uh, when they did the initial unveiling, it looked a little chunky in their hands, yeah. but all of the reporters who have had a chance to see it in person says it's a lot thinner than it looks. Okay. Well, that, that can be a game changer. Yep. And then there's the Neo, which is like the big brother of that thing. Yep. Two so. full, actually, oh no, a full size 13 inch display with the thinnest LCD in its class. Yeah, they say, uh, he, I think he let it slip. There was a few things you could tell, like he was like just really excited. And basically he said that like they uh, 
have not made an LCD that thin until now. Wow. You know, now I'm that I'm looking at the video, I see what you mean. The screen is really thin. Even when the thing is folded around, that's like the, that's like the thickness you'd expect it to be. Yeah. So both of these dual screen devices are coming next holiday season. So okay. late next 2020. Interesting. Well, I actually the video I think sells this thing a little bit more than the presentation <laughs> did. Like she's like showing what she's using it for, like taking notes and like using the bottom part as like a keyboard and a pinch. Um, cool. So we'll see uh we'll see how those actually land. Uh and then when they then the the big the big one runs Windows 10X. Yep. So the tablet will be a, a Windows 10X tablet, which is a a full version of Windows 10 optimized UI for dual screen devices. Okay. And not much to say about that until we actually get our hands on it, of course. Nope. So definitely know a few uh, people at Microsoft that have been uh, obnoxiously quiet that maybe we can, uh, you know, (laughs) buy a drink or two and see what happens. I know who you're talking about. Uh, Okay. So the last thing we're going to talk about actually wasn't even from the event, but it's an internal event that we have in our part of the organization. And there's Microsoft one week. And then we work in a group called commercial software engineering, and we have our own one week, which is not confusing at all. Um, so you want to describe one week for us? Yeah. So like Jason said, we work in commercial software engineering, or we call it CSE. And in this organization, there's about 800 people and we're, I don't don't know, over 90% technical people. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is an engineering organization. So as part of that, you know, you know, we need to stay up to date on the latest and development trends and technologies. And um, one of the ways that we do that is we have, you know, I think we call it maybe like a, a hacking culture. Uh, you could call it a learning culture. But what we do is we get together for this week and we split off into, I don't know, somewhere on like 50 different teams. And each team has a project. A, a real world project. So this isn't something that we're just going to do like a, a a little pilot on and throw the code away when we're done. This is, you know, um, something that's come from the real world and is a project that's one of the people on the team cares about. They submitted this and they're going to get eight to 10 engineers for three days to sit there and help build out and solve. And when they're done, they can actually move this on to the next phase of development. This is going to go off into production somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this is really cool because we have a worldwide team. All of the people from are mixed around. So you're not working with the people that you normally work with day to day. Um, You're working with people that are on teams that have slightly different focus, teams that are coming from different geographies, different languages. So it's a really nice way uh, to, you know, learn about the technology set. And this covers a gamut from machine learning to IOT to big data and stuff like that. Um, And as a kind of another benefit that comes out of just getting people that you don't always interact with is you get a really cool way to network. I mean, sometimes it's really hard to meet people even who you're supposed to be working around or near uh, just because you don't have that proximity to each other. And this is a way where um, when we do this, it's in a giant convention center where there's no walls. So you have access to just kind of like look around and talk to anybody you want to, which is really cool way to get to know your coworkers. Mm -hmm. 
And then as part of it, you know, at Microsoft, we have a big um, initiative for diversity and inclusion um, in our teams. And all of these, when you're mixing up people who are normally on diverse teams and mixing them up even more uh, for these little temporary events, um, you get a really good cross pollination of ideas. Um, you know, for this particular one that comes up, I signed up for a data one and I don't really do a lot of data, but I can bring the expertise I have from all my other different backgrounds to help solve this problem or give that perspective when they want to use that technology for one of my expertises, you know, that can really come in and, and make the end solution better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, whether, it, like you said, it's great to get everybody together. It's great to do that cross pollination and, and spread ideas that way. It's really great for communication. And the other thing is some meetings do get sprinkled in. They're kind of minimal, but there's also, you know, basically, you know, here are our priorities and here are our common goals and here's how we're operating. And to have a week where you just go through all of that boring stuff is just mind numbing. So having an event like this where you're doing something fun, something that helps your job and then sprinkling in the meetings is a much better way of doing it. And I think that's a really good format that we've been doing going forward instead of having pure get togethers to get everybody in sync. Um, you know, let's actually like, let's do something real and also sync by the way. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, as, as, Jason and I were coming up with like, maybe what we should talk about this. You know, like the thing that came to my mind is people are constantly asking me in various different ways, shapes and forms, how does Microsoft do X or Y? And, you know, in this case, like how does Microsoft, you know, solve for training a large technical workforce? And this is just one example of that. Um, But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I just thought, like, if we can share through the podcast, you know, how we do things this one week, one time a year, maybe this is something that you can take a piece on, like, hey, this piece really resonates with how I think our company culture is. And you can fold that in and make your your training, your um, learning and networking events maybe a little bit better or a little bit more worthwhile. Mm-hmm. It also gives people an opportunity to take a leadership role because they could be running a project. And it's actually kind of interesting because a lot of times the managers will actually be the participants, whereas the, you know, the people that would normally be the individual contributors can actually be running the project. So it's a, it's a really good, um, inversion there. Yeah. And and that's really important that you bring that up because, uh, that was definitely something that I noticed my first several times going is you have people that uh, are normally, um, you know, high up on the management chain and they're sitting there one writing code and learning themselves, but two, they're, they're defaulting to whoever's the, you know, expert at the table. And really, you know, there is that, uh, way that you can physically see, you know, the learning culture just because you're, you know, high up or have a position of authority doesn't mean that, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And being able to see that, you know, like, Hey, you know, you know, I have the ability to learn from somebody who's, who might be junior too. Yep. Cool. Cool. Well, hopefully that helps some people out there. Um, it gives them some ideas. Anything else you want to mention on that, Carl? No, but, uh, if you're wondering why Jason and I are going to be silent in a couple of weeks, uh, that's why. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we're hoping you- to record there too. So that yeah. might actually help. Cause you know, whenever you have 800 smart people in a room, like it makes it a little bit easier to coordinate actually recording a podcast, especially um, since we now have gear that's very mobile. So that's, yeah. Be well. Yeah. Our biggest issue is just always that we are 
at a hundred percent capacity while we're there. So we have to figure out how to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. Cause normally what is it from like eight in the morning till 10 at night? There's usually something to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it takes a toll. That's, that's the only thing. Cause you know, you try to get in all these meetings. It's like, Hey, everybody's there. This is our one chance to do all this stuff. So yeah, that's, that's the only tough part. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's wrap this up then. Where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. Well, thank you for joining me, Carl, and uh, going through all this cool stuff. No problem. See you next time. <laughs>